Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. I want to read verses 14 through 29. Uh, regarding rain in California, when it was, they, they didn't pray for rain until uh, all the harvest came in. And then they began to plead for God, to, for God to send rain and to send snow in the mountains. And um, it was always very interesting. The, the, the pleading was real. I'm getting to the point around here where I'm pleading for rain. But I remember it was very real. First Samuel 23, 14 through 29. David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so, And our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. Saul said, May you be blessed of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go now, make sure, and investigate and see this place where his haunt is, and who has seen him there. For I am told that he is very cunning. So look and learn about about all the hiding places where he hides himself, and return to me with certainty. And I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Then they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, Saul pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines had made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David, And went to meet the Philistines. Therefore he called that place the rock of escape. David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of Engedi. The word of the Lord. Um, Let's let's pray for a second. Father, we need you to, through this sermon, put our hands back into your hands. And so I pray that we might be encouraged even as David was encouraged by his covenant friend, Jonathan. And Father, I thank you for Jesus. 
And I pray that we would be put, our hands would be put right back into his hands tonight as we leave. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hands are very important. Um, of course, you go study the Bible, you find out how many times hands are in the Bible. But hands are not just important as part of my body. Hands are also important when it comes to communicating with people. They say that 55 to 70% of our communication takes place in person. You know, it makes you think about talking to people on the phone, doesn't it? 55 up to 70% of your communication with other people has to do with you being in their presence. And some of the people who study such things, they tell us that those folks who communicate with their hands are warmer, they're more agreeable, they're more energetic, and those who do not use their hands are considered wooden, they're considered logical, cold, and calculating. In the Bible, we have 1,288 references to the word hands. Literally, hands are everywhere in the Bible. And the position of our hands communicates several things. Letting your hands hang down. That's literally the translation in Psalm 46. Letting your hands hang down. It speaks before the Lord of being relaxed, no longer striving. Uh, Letting your hands hang down before an enemy speaks of surrender and weakness. Shaking hands speaks of agreement. Raising hands in a court of law speaks of swearing an oath. Placing hands on the head of, an, of, a, of a sacrifice speaks of identification of me placing my hands on Jesus to take care of my sins for me. In regards to hands, if you'll look there at verse 14, we see a verse that basically describes everything that's been happening from 1 Samuel 18 and will continue all the way to 1 Samuel 31. It says, Saul sought David every day, but God did not deliver David into Saul's hand. That explains chapter 18 all the way to chapter 31. Saul began to be jealous of David. He tried to kill David all the way to verse to chapter 31, and then Saul's taken off the scene. Saul dies. God did never deliver David into his hands. And so this night, tonight, I want to give you three points. And the first is heavy hands. The second is helping hands. And the third is heavenly hands. Saul has heavy hands. Jonathan has helping hands. And the Lord our God is the heavenly hands that help us. First of all, heavy hands. Hands that are lifted up when we're on our knees speak of submission to God in prayer. And hands that are lifted up against a person speak of violence. And Saul has uplifted hands. He has heavy hands. Hands lifted up against David. Hands that were lifted up and he sent, remember Doeg, you know, in in every... In every Old Testament exam you're given, you'll be asked about who is Doeg. Doeg the Edomite, the sword-wielding servant of Saul who goes off and kills 85 priests and all their family. Saul uses men to destroy other men. He has heavy hands. In the last sermon, we saw that David came out from his little hidey hole in the cave of Adullam. He has 600 men. And when he comes out, he goes and he delivers Keilah from the Philistines. But when he does this, two things happen. He exposes himself to all of Judah, and he exposes himself to Saul. 
When he does this in front of Judah, Judah begins to realize, hey, David's not trying to kill any of our guys. David's doing the right thing. David's not raping. David's not pillaging. David's not doing all the sort of things that that some maniac would do that Saul might even be saying that he's doing. He's out there doing what Saul ought to be doing. He's taking the things that have been taken by the Philistines and bringing them back. He's bringing back the crops that have been stolen. Well, this is a great thing. The people see all of this. But in regard to Saul, remember... As we talked about the men, they, they were afraid of going to Keilah because it meant that they would be exposed to Saul. Saul would know where they are. And they would enter into a city and be like birds in a cage. They would be behind walls and, a, and, a gate, and gates. And so Saul is going to take advantage of that. He's going to come and seek to exterminate David. Now this is sad, but it's true, I think. It's almost certain that the men of Keilah told Saul of David's exploits there. It's almost certain. Because if they came across to Saul as being uh, loving and tender and thankful to David, then Saul would do what Saul does. Saul puts cities under the ban. Saul puts priests under the ban. And he would send his men and kill every single person in Keilah. So they deliver David over into his hands. And David asked God, we talked about this last week, David asked God, will Saul come? And God says, yes. And will the people or the men of Keilah surrender me over to Saul? And God said, yes. And David got on the road. Verse 13 in our, in our text here, it says, he began to move from place to place. And verse 14 tells us he began to be or stay in the desert of Ziph. All the while, Saul is seeking David every single day. What do you think about people when you hear that they have heavy hands? Do you like to be around people with heavy hands? There's people who have physically heavy hands. And I don't know about you, but if you find a person who's kind of got heavy hands, I remember growing up when I was a kid, I, had, I was around adults or somebody or somebody who was my friends who had their hands on me too much, didn't want to be around them. And then there's some people who don't necessarily use their hands to be heavy. They just use heavy, abusive language. And my wife, she's got this little statement about people, sometimes who are heavy-handed. She says, you know what you do with hot horseshoes, don't you? You see them and you flee. You don't ever handle them. You just get rid of them. You just walk away. And so when we see these folks with heavy hands, uh, we seek to get out of their way. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel many things about hands. Let me give you just a summary. Of, of what it says here. God did not deliver David into Saul's hands. David learned that Saul had come to take his life and he would have taken his life with his hands, as implied. Jonathan refers to his father's desire to lay his hands on David. The men of Keilah and the men of the, of the Ziphites, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, both of them were ready to deliver David over into the hands of of Saul, we might call that betrayal, the hands of betrayal. In 1 Samuel 24, Saul goes into a cave. <laughs> these caves, I don't know, have you ever been in some of these caves? Huge caves. There's a cave up there in Silver Dollar City, and it's gigantic. David and all his men are in the cave, and Saul and his men enter the cave, it says, for Saul to relieve himself. And so that night, David's men look at David and say, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Take a spear and kill him dead. 
Well, David knows that God has never told him to touch his, this king. This is, this is that thing we talked about last week. That strange thing about David. This is such a wonderful thing to meditate on. This strange thing about David being an absolute terror to the Philistines. But so tender towards, towards his own people. He won't touch Saul. In fact, he cuts a little bit of his uh, a robe off. And Saul leaves. And he walks out. And he's even smitten in his conscience over having cut the edge of his robe off. The Lord forbids me, he tells his men, from doing such a thing. He is the Lord's anointed. David will not lift up his hands or have heavy hands towards Saul. He will look at this as a test of do I operate according to the word of God? Or do I operate based on what things seem to be right? He won't do what seems to be okay. And so a little later, when everybody has told him to kill, he will not do it. And then he stands there and he tells Saul, evildoers do evil things with their hands. And I am not one of them. I do not have heavy hands. Well, it is these heavy hands that David is up against. And one of the things we need to think about David is this. David, all during this period of time, he's been, he's been the man who's had helping hands. He's been the man who's been strengthening the men who are around him, their hands. He has been encouraging and helping and keeping up morale in the cave and out there on the run. And when they've gone out and kicked the Philistines out of Keala. Don't you think this captain who's doing all of this cheerleading might be sitting around at times by himself and saying, who's going to help me? Who's going to hold my hands up? Who's going to care for the caregiver? And David doesn't only have heavy hands against him. The hands are getting heavier. Saul continues to come after David day after day. And in Psalm 54 David, we hear him crying out for salvation. And he's acknowledging that Saul has more mercenaries joining him to increase the weight of those hands against him. Psalm 54, 3 says, Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men are seeking my life. Men without regard for God. So all of these things are weighing down on David. He begins to be fearful and trembling. Surely there could come a point where he maybe just wanted to let his hands hang down in weakness and surrender. Well, before we go to the next point, let me make a few applications. Have you ever considered the hands of the caregivers around us? Well, we can name the ones we all know of, doctors. Doctors, not lawyers, doctors, lawyers and such, but this is doctors and nurses and such, right? And I have a nurse sitting right there and maybe a nurse in here that I don't even know about, right? But we have people who do intense labor, constantly dealing with the needs of others. Some write prescriptions, some administer prescriptions. Getting people up, putting people back in bed, cleaning people up, feeding people, washing their face, brushing their teeth to the point of brushing their teeth. And this begins to wear on them. And maybe they begin to consider how they need somebody to help them remove and, and, and relieve them of their of their stress. Consider the mother of today. We have a few in here right now. The 
most underpaid labor-intensive job in the world? Dealing with little ones, dishing out care, changing diapers, feeding faces, grading homework, helping with assignments, doing devotions while you're in the bathroom or doing devotions while you're in the the, uh, bathtub with one eye open and one eye closed. You become weary and you become tired. And when your husband comes home, you go and drink a Jolt Cola, has 200 milligrams of caffeine just to prep yourself up to be alive for your husband. And then there's the worry and there's the concern of whether you, and I've heard this many times, I'm telling you all the truth. This is, this is, Lori knows I'm just quoting everything she said. Am I really doing the right thing? Am I really doing the best thing for my kiddos? Now, I want to say to you that you might have to tweak some things, but I'm just going to encourage you. You probably are doing the right thing, you know. Maybe you're here today and you're up against a superior with heavy hands in your job. I remember when I was in a situation in, in Tyler and, and uh, I got this word about the boss and the boss was going to change the way things worked. Eight years early, I began to think that guy really meant it. So as the, as a, a year, after a year, I, I listened and I watched and I saw that this was coming. And so I went and talked to a lawyer. I went and talked to people who could help me make decisions. And I tried to figure out where I was going to go if this guy really meant business. And a few years kept going by and finally it happened. You either do what I say or you leave. And I wasn't going to do what he said. But it constantly makes you feel like, can I provide for my family? Will I have a place to live? You begin to sort of tremble. Sometimes Satan gets us underneath in his crosshairs and we feel the power of sin. We're wondering whether we can ever overcome some sin in our lives. Heavy, heavy hands. Well, second, let's look at helping hands. So David, he has the heavy hands of Saul pressing down upon him. He's fearful and he's very low. And who knows, maybe David would have reached the breaking point had not Jonathan been able. Did y'all figure that out? That Jonathan was able to find him. Why is it that Jonathan is able to find David and Saul with all his intel network and all the whole nation? Why can't he find him? But he can't. But Jonathan can find him. David was on his last leg, but his covenant friend finds him and he finds him and what does he do? He takes his trembling, shaking hands and he places them in the hands of the Lord. Verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in the Lord, I think the King James says, and strengthened him in God. Now, I'm absolutely certain that they had a wing-ding party getting back together. But what's most important here is not the celebration of sin, the brother again. What's most important here, as William Blakey writes in the 1800s, he says, No act of friendship is so true as this. He put David's hands into God's hands. That's the most important part. Now, what did Jonathan say to him? Surely it should go in a psychological book on how to counsel, right? He, surely he said something fantabulous, right? Surely it was great. Let's see what he said. Verse 17. uh, David, do not be afraid. (laughs) He said exactly what David's been saying to his own men. David, 
Remember in the last passage, David says, okay, guys, we're going to go to Keilah. We're going to deliver them from the Philistines. They say, no, we're afraid. So David gets back on his knees, prays, and asks God. God gives him the same command, rise, go to Keilah, and I'm going to give them into your hands. And so he helps him not to be afraid. And now David has somebody saying to him, hey, David, here's some of your own medicine. Do not be afraid. Hey, don't be afraid. And then he says this, Because, David, the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you, and Saul, my father, knows that also. Now, there's no place in the Scriptures that we read that. But obviously, everybody knows it. Even Saul knows this. So Saul, as he's bearing down on David, and Jonathan comes along, and he helps him by saying, Do not fear, and places his hands into the hands of the Lord. Do you have helping hands? In chapter 18, Jonathan sees David kill Goliath. He makes a covenant. He strikes hands and makes a covenant with David after he kills Goliath. In chapters 19, Jonathan came to David and told him of his father's desire to kill him, spoke up for him, saved him for a few moments. In chapter 20, Jonathan spoke up for David again. And what did Saul do then? He took a spear and tried to kill his own son. And then he went out. You remember the whole bow shooting episodes as he tells David, you need to flee. Now we come to chapter 23. And this is, this is the sad part about the David and the Jonathan thing, at, at least in the physical part. David never forgets Jonathan. We know that in Second Samuel. He never forgets him. He always remembers this covenant. This is the last time these two guys ever get together. And when they get together, they have a great celebration. And this man who loves David, and David loves this man, he strengthens him in the Lord. And their relationship was deepened over all the years. Somebody had to go initiate this relationship. And then all the way to this point, 1 Samuel Chapter 23, it culminates in this final event. If you have the helping hands of Jonathan, you know what you have to do? You have to initiate it. You with me? Now, we have a small group tonight, but you know what? Every one of us, we can be like uh, Ben said the other night. Uh, He said, now all you guys need to be the plants in the church as we teach people this new song. So we need to all be the church. We need to be the plants in the church next Sunday morning. We need to be the ones who are willing to go up and say hello to the new guy. Right? And start the relationship. It's going to take a little bit of effort to go out to the guy who has a smooth stone and sling in his hand and say, would you like to strike a covenant with me? Would you like to be in a relationship with me? And it starts with coffee and it starts with lighthearted conversations. And then it moves to maybe being a Bible study with each other. How is your walk with the Lord? It may advance to you know being together more in fellowships. Sitting, if you will, around the fire with men and talking to them about their exploits, about their prayer lives, about their Bible reading, about what they've learned, what they've said. You know, one of the things I tell y'all, this is one of the biggest things I miss about Evan leaving. The last two months, Evan would grab me and say, let's go get coffee and let's talk about something. (laughs) Well, that's what it's about. It's about sitting down and talking about stuff with guys, with girls. Times when you're defeated. 
times when you're victorious, times when you're dependent on the Lord, times when, and all these things, we're helping each other out. We're helping each other out, placing each other's hands in the hands of the Lord. And this applies to everybody in the church. It applies to our marriages. It applies to uh, moms and dads in their, with their kids. It applies to brothers and sisters talking to each other. I wish my kiddos were here, but both of them, they don't, they don't feel very well. But think about it. Husbands and wives, are you placing your spouse's hands in the heavenly hands of God? Mom and dad, are you placing your children's hands in the hands of God? Sisters and brothers, are you placing each other's hands into the hands of God? I remind myself most of the time, every time I preach a sermon, it's not my job to place your hands in my hands. My wife tells me I have pretty pretty hands. Ever since I've known my wife, she would take my hand and she would tell me, those are some pretty hands. But my hands aren't sufficient for your soul sorts of hands. And so the minister doesn't preach to get you connected. I like you to like me. Don't get me wrong. I like to be liked. I'm a human being. But I want your hands placed in the Lord's hands. I don't want you to be connected... I like. I want you to be connected to me in a certain way, but I want you to be totally salvifically connected to Jesus Christ. And that's what every sermon ought to be. And so what should you say to your spouse and your children and your brother and your sister and your brother and your sister in Christ? Well, you can start out by saying, do not be afraid. You can start out by going to Psalm 46 and saying, even if the mountains are falling into the, to the sea and the, the, the sea is roaring and foaming all around, God is a very present help in time of trouble. Go try that one out. You can say, I know that you're having a difficult time with your children or your spouse or with that boss at work, but you can say, do not be afraid. I've heard that Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I will always be with you to the end of the age. I know. Do not be afraid. I know you're going through a storm. But did you know I've heard the Bible? And I've read the Bible and it says, Do you not know, have you not heard, that you are engraved on the palms of God's hands? <laughs> he can't forget you. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3 says this, Do you not know, when you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, for I am your Savior. Jesus said it this way. No one, no one can snatch you out of my hands. If we're underneath Satan's power, if we, are, if we find ourselves under the power of a sin... Haven't we said something recently about a Savior who is able to take a person who's drowning and raise him up with an outstretched hand? Peter, Lord, save me. It says Jesus stretched out his hand. There's a leper and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The Bible says, Jesus says he stretched out his hand, says, I am willing. Jesus can save us. Jesus can give us the power to overcome our sin. Jesus is the one who can cleanse us from our sin. He lifts us up. He says in 1 Peter 5, He says, listen, humble yourselves under His hand and He will raise you up. 
Today, Linda Crutchfield, I, I, I can't, probably in my bag over here, Linda Crutchfield starts texting me. <laughs> and she says that she's felt like she was in Jeremiah's hole in the mud. And she said that there's a rope. She's read about a rope. And one of the Puritans wrote about a rope that was fashioned by God and thrown down to her to pull her out. And I sent her a text and I sent her what I just said to you. Jesus stretches out his hand. And I said this to her. I said, do you ever wonder, does Jesus care for me? That's all he has to do. All he has to do is show you his hands. Hey, Thomas. Thomas the doubter, not Thomas back there. (laughs) All he has to do is show us his hands. He does care. Well, finally, let's let's end. Heavenly hands. Even as we look at this last point, just remember verse 14 again. Saul is seeking David every day, but God did not deliver David into his hand. And so the Lord sent to David these helping hands. But one of the things that's very interesting is that those hands had to leave. You know, one of the things, I remember one of the first funerals I did in 2012 um, I told a mom after I left her, I knew that she was going to be alone, and I told her she's going to have to rely on God because the helping hands were leaving. These helping hands. Her son had died. Jonathan has to leave, and David's on his own with the fellows again. And how, with Saul coming, how will he be saved? Because this is really a bad situation. How will he be saved now? And if you've read this before, or never read it before, maybe you could even get to the nail-biting point of view, you know, in your mind. David is on the one side of the mountain, and Saul is on the other side of the mountain, and, and Saul is getting closer, and David is going to be captured. There's just no way around it. There's a steep, there's a steep cliff between the two of them. And I'm not trying to be funny, but folks, all of a sudden a text message comes along. It says a messenger brought a message to Saul. And this is what the text message said. Hurry, Saul, and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. (laughs) You know, do you get it? The text message. Now, guys, I'll tell you what, some some of the weirdest things happens up here. Is that when I this I try to turn all the gadgets off, but every now and then when I'm preaching, I have my watch starts binging on me. This guy is going after David. He has David in his grip. He's got him. Text message comes. You better come and you better take care of your own kingdom. Why didn't he? Why didn't he just go ahead and get David? But he he stopped the pursuit. And David is saved from the destroyer. And God did not give David into Saul's hands. And here's just another time where God delivered David. It's the sixth time that God delivered David from Saul's hands. One message and he broke off the pursuit. Now these heavenly hands are still at work today. These heavenly hands are guided by God. Our, 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 our shorter catechism talks about a God who's most holy, wise, and most powerful. And He governs all things by the word of His power. He governs it all. And He uses all these things for His own glory. 
And if it's God's purpose to keep us here on the earth one more day, one more year, ten more years, He will do it. And He may use a text message. (laughs) Use a text message to keep us here. I don't know how He might keep us here, but he, He will use these things to keep us on our feet. He will keep us upright, won't He? To breathe and live another day. David's nightmare is not over and Saul is going to come for him again, but we can surely say these things. Listen, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me from the heavy hands of my enemies. We can say, thank you, Lord, for sending me helping hands to take my shaking hands and put them back in the Lord's hands. We can say, thank you, Lord, for being my Savior. We need to remember one thing and we'll pray. You may, you may, your, your darkness may last a little bit longer. But think about this. Remember that part of the darkness that we experience may just be the shadow of God's almighty hand that is over us and keeping us. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this time. Thank you for each one who is here, each one who might be listening on the Zoom. And Father, I pray that we would be encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would make us to be those who know that we're in your hand. And to be those who strike relationships up with those others. And who are ready to take our hands and use them to bring other hands into the hands of Jesus. And help us to make good friendships all along the way. Lord, we pray that as we leave tonight, you will take us home safely and that tomorrow we might wake up refreshed and renewed to do your will and to please you. We know, we're not, we know that life is going to be difficult and not perfect and easy, but we do pray that you would help us in every trauma and every trial to, stay, to keep our hands in your hands and to strengthen us, Lord, to do your will. We'll praise you for it. We ask all all this in Jesus' name. Amen.